Well, welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, if you want to find in your Bible, if you have one with you, the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, if you don't have one, don't worry. Uh, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment or so. We've been working through the book of Exodus. We've got to chapter 20. Um, towards the end of last year, in November I think it was, and since then we've been slowly working through chapter 20 of Exodus, uh, which includes perhaps one of the more famous bits of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. We've been going through those week by week, and this week we're hitting number 10, the last one. Uh, and then after that we're going to take a little bit of a break from Exodus. Um, we're coming up to Easter, so we're going to have four weeks where we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. Uh, Ludo will be speaking to us uh, next week about that. And then after that, we're going to spend um, maybe six to eight weeks, I'm not entirely sure yet, um, in the build up to kind of Pentecost Sunday, and then a little bit after that, talking about what it means to, to uh, reflecting on the verse in Galatians, where it, where it encourage us, encourages us to walk in the Spirit. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means in lots of different ways, to live a life of walking in the Spirit. What I wanted to do before we move on from Exodus is just quickly recommend a couple of books. I don't normally do this, but these two books I found really helpful as I've been preparing, um, and they're both very short and readable books. First of all, this book called Echoes of Exodus by Alistair Roberts and Andrew Wilson, which looks at how the Exodus story appears again and again throughout the whole story of Scripture, that as you go through the Bible again and again, you can see it pointing back to that wonderful Exodus story and how you can see this kind of theme of redemption, of God rescuing his people out of slavery and into his purposes, how you see that story again and again through the Bible. It's a brilliant book. And also this one called A Doubter's Guide to the Ten Commandments. So if you're particularly here and you think what we're talking about is lunacy or you're confused or you've got questions or doubts or concerns, this is the book for you because it's called A Doubter's Guide to the Ten Commandments. So if you have doubts, this is a brilliant little book to help you. So I'd encourage you to... I'm just going to throw them to my wife. Good catch. Well done. Okay. Let's find Exodus... I'm going to read verse 17, which is the final one of the Ten Commandments, and then I will pray. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let me pray. Jesus, we... Uh, Thank you so much that you've made a way for us to come to our Father in heaven. And that's how we can know you now, God. Not just as a distant being in the sky, uh, not just as this distant creator or power or this mythical being or however we might understand you, but we can know you as, as a Father. We can know relationship with you. And we can know you even this morning calling us ever deeper into that relationship and we want our hearts to be set to be fixed to be following you and we can only do that by your help so we pray holy spirit would you speak to us guide us 
Come grab hold of our hearts this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. We live in a, in a world of desire. That's how the world around us functions, and that's how we function. We'd like to believe that we're, we're rational beings, that we make rational, logical decisions, that we navigate our way through life by making a series of decisions. I think this, I'll do this. I think that, I'll do that. And that's how we think we would process life. But actually, most of the time anyway, and for most, well, for all of us, what drives us is it's more of an impulse. It's a desire. It's things that we love, things that we want, which pull us in different directions. Uh, an author called Jamie Smith wrote a book, You Are What You Love, and he said this. He said, it's not what I think that shapes my life from the bottom up. It's what I desire, what I love, that animates my passion. So you might think that that's, that's how we function, that you, can, you either you navigate life by what you think, you know, I think, therefore I am, or you, we navigate life by what we believe. I have this set of convictions and these set of values, therefore I'll do this. But what this quote is saying, what he says in this book, and what the Bible teaches is that we're actually we're driven more by desire, by what we want, which sometimes we can't even put into words. The philosopher Blaise Pascal said, the heart has reasons of, what, of which reason knows nothing. <laughs> so, you know, why did two of my daughters come to church this morning dressed in onesies? The heart has reasons of which reason knows nothing. I don't know, and they don't know. Well, I was sitting on the, the metro as we were traveling in next to one of them, and she just looked at me and she said, Dad, I, I regret dressing as Chewbacca. She's a Chewbacca onesie. I regret dressing as Chewbacca. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I was... Um, as we were coming here this morning, I walked past a lady with two little dogs, and she, she was talking to her dogs. You know how you talk to your pets, but she was having like a full-on, you know, one-way conversation with her, with her dogs. And that, that made me think, because it's, it's, in some ways, that's, that's almost a sign of lunacy, talking to something that's not going to talk back to you. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you talk to an animal? You know, it's not going to talk back to you. And yet, we all do it in different ways. We've got a hamster called Harriet Kane, named after Harry Kane, the greatest football player on the planet. And, and I talk to Harriet Kane, but it's a hamster. Like, it's not going to talk back to me. But we do things that don't really make any sense, don't we? Um, and this lady was talking to her dogs because she obviously had a lot of affection, a lot of love for her, for her dogs. They were her companions, so she was talking to them. You know, we do this all the time. So you might often have found that you do it where, you know, when you think you're making a logical decision, you know, maybe a difficult decision, and you can lie in bed at night, and you can come up with all these different reasons of why you're going to make this decision. Have you ever done that? Where you kind of, you're like your inner lawyer kicks in and you argue the decision. And then it's only when you're talking to someone that they start probing your argument. They start asking you questions and you realize how illogical your, all your reasoning has been. You think, oh, that actually doesn't, they're right, that doesn't make any sense. 
you know, I thought I was doing it for these reasons, but it doesn't really fit together. And the reason is you've made that decision. It's an emotional decision. You want something. You desire something. So you go in that direction, and then you come up with a logical argument to support where you're going afterwards. We do it all the time. That's how we function as human beings. And the Bible recognizes this. That's why these Ten Commandments conclude with this phrase, you shall not cover. Or another way to say it would be, you, sh you shall not have improper desire. And then it lists these different things that we can desire after. Because all the time, our hearts are drawn to things. We covet things. We desire things. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he links this idea of coveting to idolatry. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. Martin Luther said, the heart is an idol factory. All the times within ourselves, we build these idols, these things, these things that we want that are going to make us happy, and we desire them, we run after them, we covet them, we make them into idols, and we chase after these things. And in a way, this Ten Commandment, it kind of completes a bit of a perfect circle, even within these Ten Commandments. Because if you go back to the first one, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. It's God's first command to his people, top of the list. You have no other gods before me. And then the last command, in a way, kind of says the same thing. You shall not covet. You shall not have any idols. You shouldn't have anything other, bigger than God. Because as we do that all the time, we take these good things and we can idolize, we can covet them, we can desire them, and good things can become God things that we run after, that we build our lives trying to find. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus, he knows the world that he sent us into, and he knows what we are like, how we're driven, what we desire. He says this to us in Luke 12. And Jesus said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I think they should write that above the entrance to Ikea when you go in, right? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And we can cover, we can desire, we can be drawn towards things. And the Bible says, actually, that's dangerous. That's why Jesus says, take care. He's warning us that if you let your heart, your life, just run off after these things, then you're putting yourself in danger. So let's look at what coveting can, can do to us. First of all, that, that kind of culturally what happens is it kind of erodes meaning, that meaning is lost in the world around us. Because in a society that turns its back on God, it also turns its back on any sense of broader meaning or purpose, even something having, having something to live for something to go after, something that defines you. And what happens instead is when you don't have any kind of broader meaning to life, 
anything that you're fixed your desire on, I'm gonna do this with my life, what you do is you start filling your life with all sorts of smaller things, other little things to try and give you some sense of meaning, purpose, possessions, relationships, goals, achievements, things you wanna do. We fill our lives with lots of little things to try and fill that hole, to try and give us some sort of meaning. And if we, if we follow that path of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, if we ignore that and say, oh, who's God to say that? I'll have as many, as many gods as I want. When we, that leads us to this place of coveting, where when we just lose control of what we're worshiping and our worship fires off in all these different directions, our desire shoots all over the place clings onto anything that will give us any sense of meaning or value, it's just coveting. And when we start giving ourselves to that, we kind of just become, I guess, just narcissistic, self-centered, very cynical. All of our desires, everything, everything we do is focused around making ourselves happy, fulfilled. Doesn't matter if it hurts anybody else, as long as it makes me feel happy, that's the goal. And in the end, when we start taking those steps, we just, we blind ourselves to God and his plan and his purposes. And that's what happens in the culture around us. Also, coveting socially, there's a problem. Because what happens is coveting will create resentment. It's kind of obvious if you think about it. It's very difficult to covet something to want something that doesn't belong to you. It's very difficult to do that and not have resentment. If you see someone's car and you think, I'd really love that car, or someone's house, I'd really love that house. It's very difficult not to then have that sense of resentment build up inside you where you then think, well, why, why should they get that and I don't? That's not fair. Why did they get that promotion and I didn't? They're not any better than me. Why do they get, why does everyone seem to like them? What's so good about them? This resentment will build up inside us if we don't deal with this covetousness that happens in our, in our hearts. You know, Joe and I recently brought a house and we spent quite a long time looking on a website called Funder. Has anyone used Funder? Yeah, funder.nl or funder, whatever it is, but it could be just coveting.com, right? Because <laughs> you just go on this website and you see all these beautiful, amazing houses and you can put in your budget of what you want, but then you're, you can put in whatever number you want. So you put in like, oh, okay, I've got seven million euros and these amazing places pop up and you think, oh, just have a look. And then you search and you look at these houses and you feel that kind of, like, why should they get that? That's not fair, that someone could just have millions to, to waste on all this lovely stuff that I want. Why should they get that and I don't have that? Those emotions can boil up inside of us. Resentment stirs up quite easily. And then there's some more kind of personal implications to us, whereas resentment is a social thing with people around us, Coveting can lead to a sense of, I guess, just dissatisfaction. 
because most of the other commandments, they talk about external factors, uh, your relationship with your parents or uh, adultery. They're talking about things that happen externally, outside of yourself. Whereas this final commandment talks about what happens inside. It's an inside-out commandment. <laughs> because the Bible recognizes that the most important issue is what's going on in our, in our hearts. That the heart of the problem for all of us is the problem of our hearts. That's the thing that we need to fix. And what happens is if we, we let coveting take control is that you get this battle emerge between coveting and contentment. And very quickly you just get dissatisfied because you always want more. You always want other things. You always need more stuff. Better relationships, better things going on. And you can just live your life with this hollow sense of dissatisfaction because the good times are always next week or next year, next month, when that thing is in place, when that thing that you desire that you get, when that thing that you're coveting, you can grasp hold of. And when you get that thing, then you'll be happy. And you live constantly just dissatisfied and frustrated, always craving the next thing. But what we have to remember is if, if we believe that God is sovereign and that he cares for us and he loves us, that if God wanted you to have it, you'd, you'd have it already. If God wanted you to be in that relationship now, he would have put you in that relationship now. Either God knows what's best for you or you do. <laughs> Who, who's it gonna be? And we, we can all say we believe, yeah, Jesus, he's enough for me. But often we hold that as like it's a conditional trust. Jesus is enough for me, but I'll only really be happy when this happens. When I've finished my exams, then, then I can rest and be happy. When this thing has happened in my life, this moment I've hit, this goal, this milestone, then I can be satisfied. And Jesus isn't really enough for me until I hit that point, until I hit that moment. And of course, Life has different seasons. There are seasons of busyness and rest. <laughs> there are seasons of where we walk through sometimes even long seasons of pain and hardship. And other times where we find life just feels a bit easier. It's a bit easier to find joy in things. You know, life has different seasons, but the reality is you, you can still find joy in all different aspects of life. You can still know that Jesus is enough for you in every moment. Because the reality is, he is wonderfully enough for us. In the New City Catechism, it says this, what does God require in the 10th commandment? So it's trying to interpret what this commandment is about and put it into a kind of pithy statement. It says that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. This is the heart of what this commandment is about. Contentment. Can we be content? Can we be satisfied? 
Can our desires be met? Can we be happy? Or are we going to resent? Or are we going to envy? Or are we going to always be looking to what other, someone else has and wanting it for, for ourselves? So how do, we, how do we combat this? What do, we, what do we do about it? Because we live in this, this wrestle, I guess, through our lives of trying to figure this out. What does it mean to have contentment? How do I deal with these coveting desires in my heart, these wants, these needs? Well, first of all, it's worth us realizing, I've jumped ahead of myself here. Here we go. It's worth, we need to realize that more is never enough. You always want more, and it will never be enough. That's, it's most obviously worked out in money, right? We were talking about this a few weeks ago. We always feel like we want more, that we need more. And then when you hit that salary level, you then realize that you actually you want a bit more. And then you hit that, and you think, oh, I need a bit more, and more and more. And we're always driven by this want, this need for more. And that's because these idols before us, they can't, they're, they're, they're incapable of giving you satisfaction. They'll hint at it, they'll give you a glimmer, a glimpse, and then when you get there, they'll let you down. And they'll give you another goal, something else to dream after, and then when you get there, they'll let you down. So we need to realize that more won't be enough for us. Next, rejoice. How to not cover, rejoice. There's a verse in uh, Romans which says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's really important because what we can often do is we see someone else rejoicing and when something good has happened in their life and if we're not careful, we can feel that sense of envy and jealousness, particularly when what's happened to them is what you'd actually like to happen to you. When someone gets engaged, have you married? And that's something you've been dreaming of your whole life and it hasn't happened for you yet. Actually, a good discipline is just to learn to rejoice with them. Just to say, oh, I'm so pleased for you. Sometimes you might even have to do that through a bit of cold blood. We feel like, oh, I don't really feel like that. But you'll find even in the action of doing it that it will do something in your heart. When you learn to rejoice with other people, you'll find it will dwell up a sense of joy in your own heart. Next one is to, actually, is to increase your desire. Because the problem isn't that we're desiring too much. I think that's an important thing to get your head around. That In, in some other religions, in, in Buddhism, for, for instance, it kind of teaches this, uh, this idea, basically, that the, the way to get happiness is to actually kind of desire less. Is almost like a minimal kind of sense of life. Kind of a, just an asceticism. I just strip these things away. I just kind of rob myself of these things. I'll just fast from these things. I'll just kind of suppress these desires. I'll just kind of squash it all down to lead to this kind of pure kind of life. 
And that's not what Christianity is about. That's not what these Ten Commandments are about. They're not saying just get rid of all these horrible things, just trample them down, just any joy, just squash it and kill it. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not just this kind of gray, bland, lifeless thing where you strip all the fun away from life. (laughs) Sometimes that's what people think it means to worship God, but it's not. It's actually, actually almost the total opposite. Because the problem is that actually that we're not desiring enough, or at least we're not desiring after the right things. Because, because you are a person driven by desire, it means your heart is hungry. Your heart is hungry. It needs to be fed all the time. You'll find your heart is, it constantly needs food. It needs to desire things. And if you desire the wrong things, then actually it will just make you hungrier. The answer is to desire the right things. It's to fix your eyes on Jesus. To find your contentment, your satisfaction, your delight, your joy in knowing him. Because that's what your heart is made to do. <laughs> you're made to worship God. It's kind of in your DNA, it's in your programming. <laughs> it's how you're made as a worshiper. It's what your heart is built to do. And when you stick it in that direction, it, it works. Because your heart will, it will, it will always revolt against its own emptiness. If you live a life where you think that to worship God you need to just strip away all the happiness out of life, your heart will revolt against that because it will feel empty. That's why so often you might find this in your life that you sin. You do things that you know you don't want to do when you're bored. Have you noticed that? Because there's almost like a bit of an emptiness inside your heart. And something inside you says, fill me. It's your heart revolting against its own emptiness. It's saying, do something to make me happy. It's calling out for desire, for worship. That's, what, that's how you're made. And desire is an immensely powerful thing. Let me read this to you. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave, is flashes of flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. It's beautiful poetry, but it's actually in the Bible. It's describing what love is like. It's raw, it's powerful. This desire that is inside of you, you you can't just squash it down. It's a powerful thing. I now own a a leaf blower. Yeah, I've reached that stage of life where I'm a man who has a leaf blower. I'm very proud of my leaf blower. But uh, we inherited it in the house, it was in our our shed. And I went to use it because I thought, how cool is this, I own a leaf blower. And what I discovered is that it's incredibly powerful, like it's a big thing. Like you kind of strap it on like this, it feels like it's like some kind of military instrument and just to blow away leaves. But it's incredibly powerful. But you, what you wouldn't do it, 
you wouldn't use it to dry your hair, right? Because it's just too powerful. It's just too powerful. The, the desires... <laughs> you, have you tried? I'll be. <laughs> Is that what happened? Just... Okay. We'd been wondering, Michiel, but now we know. <laughs> but when you, when you point your desire in the wrong direction, it's too powerful. You know, if you see, um, it, it, when, when you, in some places where you'd have a riot and the police will bring out you know, those big vans with like a water cannon on top, and when people get hit by that water can, they just get knocked over. Like you wouldn't use that to have a shower. It's, it's just too powerful. And the desire that God's put inside you is immensely powerful. And when you focus all of that desire on a new iPhone, it's too powerful. It won't satisfy you. When you, when you point all that desire on a new relationship, it's, you'll damage that relationship because it's too powerful. Do you hear what I'm saying here? And we do this all the time. We take our desires and we point them on things which they're not capable of dealing with it. It's a goal that we've had in life. I'm going to do this. And we point our desire towards it and it just obliterates it because that desire is meant for God. It's meant for him. It's this godly powerful thing that he's put inside of us and if you point at anything else it will just cause damage so how do we how do we work this out it's a big question really for all these ten commandments not just this one but how do we live them out and a good question to ask is, ask is can I perfectly regulate desire or, or can I control myself? Because you might just think, well, sure, these 10 commandments are easy, right? We just, we've been through them week after week. Now I know all 10. I'll just go away and do all of these things, and then I'll be fine, right? I'll just, I'll, I won't have any other gods. I won't use the Lord's name in vain. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to murder anyone. We just oh, it's, this is, these are easy, these are all straightforward, I just won't do them and I'll be fine. <laughs> but yet, this last commandment really trips us up because it goes right to our hearts. You shall not cover, you shouldn't desire anything else. You shouldn't have an improper desire towards something. And we all go, oh yeah, actually, it's a bit more difficult, that one. You know, I'm not, not sure... I can do that. As in, can I perfectly do that? Can I perfectly fulfill all these commandments? The answer is no, we can't. None of us can truthfully read through this list and say, I can perfectly do this. I'm in control. I can do all these things. And if you think you are, if you're that self-reliant that you think you can just do all these things, then I'd ask you to, to really question your heart because I just don't think that's true I don't think anybody can just look at these things and say oh yeah I could do that easy peasy in another oh that's the wrong one where are we we've done that one here we go 
Another catechism, it says, is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Answer, no man is able, man or woman, all right? Don't, this isn't just to the men in the room. This is just written a very long time ago. No man is able, either of himself or by any grace received in this life, perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. We do, we break these commandments all the time in thought, word, and deed, in action. Because these, and we have to get our head around that these, they, they're, these commands, they're not like a moral ladder. And again, that's not what Christianity is about. It's not like, oh, we know the code now. You know, we know the fix. This is our kind of self-help guide. I just do these steps, walk up this ladder, ta-da, I've made it. That's not what these commands are about. They're actually a, a, a response to the grace that we've already received. Where God says right at the start of this Exodus chapter, this is for those who've been rescued out of slavery. God's already come and he's rescued his people. He's brought them to himself and said, this is how to live now. But this isn't to win God's favor, to earn his trust and his love. He already loves us. And what we get in this commandment is, I guess there's a bit of a, a hint of what's to come. It's a, a hint that we need a savior. Because we read this command and we know if we're really honest with ourselves that we are gonna covet, that we are gonna desire things that we can't have. That we can't control ourselves. And there's a hint here that we need a, we need a savior. It says in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sin no more. It's a wonderful promise that we get. It's still in the Old Testament, but God comes to his people and he says, I know that you break these, this covenant that I've made with you, these commandments that I've given you. God says, I know that you break them. But yeah, I'm going to make a new covenant. You have my forgiveness. I'll remember your sins no more. Moses himself knew this. In Deuteronomy, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Even hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, Moses, who God gave these commandments to, he knew that something better was coming. There was a perfect king coming, a savior coming. And this command points us to the fact that we all need this savior. Because really it's, to come back to the issue of our heart, 
in a way, your, your heart, if you think about um, Iraq, this is a bit, maybe a bit of a leap for you in your heads. If you think about the nation of Iraq, what happened there that they, uh, the, the Allied forces came in and they removed Saddam Hussein, the evil dictator. And then what happened next was decades of chaos. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement about whether I think that was right or wrong, but our, our hearts are very much like the same thing. Your heart, you, you're like a, a kingdom without a king. And yet we put all, all sorts of things in charge over us, all sorts of idols that we worship. And if you come and just remove that king, oh, that desire I have for that thing is bad, I'll just remove it. What happens is other, either that king will come back in and try and retake his throne, or all sorts of other desires will come in and compete. You see, that's what, do you see the point I'm trying to make? So in the nation of Iraq now, you've got all sorts of different competing forces trying to take control. We're the illegitimate government now. No, we are. No, we are. And our, our hearts do the same thing. Because you're made, you're designed to have a king over you. And when Jesus is on his throne in your life, you don't need any other king. But when you take him off the throne, there'll be this constant fight, this battle for other rulers to come in and take control over you. Because we can't control ourselves. We're made to worship. We're made to have a king over us. Jesus, all of us need a savior to reign and rule over our lives. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. What I'd love you to do is just, um, we're gonna come and sing and take communion in a moment, but um, if you're happy to, I'd love you just to stand, and I'm just gonna pray for us. You might wanna close your eyes, you don't have to. Uh, you might even wanna just hold out your hands, again, you don't have to, but it's a great way just to, with your body, just say, I'm open to you, God, and I want you to speak to me. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we don't want to read all these Ten Commandments, and we don't want to just think, right, okay, I've got my action plan now. I'll go and do all the, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try more. God, what we want to do is we want to kind of submit ourselves to you again. We want to put you in charge again over our hearts. We want to take all that pent-up desire, that love that you've put inside of us, and we want to point it back towards you. And we want to declare, I'll have no other gods. I won't cover or desire anything that I shouldn't but I want to fix my eyes on him. Because that's, that's where I find this contentment, this satisfaction. is not by filling it with all sorts of small, but in the end, meaningless other things. But I want to fix and find all my contentment, my satisfaction, have my needs met, my desires met in you and you alone. Whether I'm in a good season or a bad season, whether life is fun or life is hard, I want to say, Jesus, you're enough for me.
You're enough for me today. You'll be enough for me next week and next month, but today, right now. Not just are you enough, you're more than enough. (laughs) Your grace is more than enough for all my sins, all my mistakes. Thank you now, I'm perfectly and completely forgiven that you've made this new covenant now where you've chosen to not remember our sins anymore and you look upon us instead and you just see the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Thank you that your goodness, your love, your grace is enough for me right now. Pray, Holy Spirit, you just let that truth resound and resonate in our hearts that you're enough for us. Amen. Amen.